Well, we'll see. <laughs> oh, I just got to tell you, this is this is a great. I'm just so honored and humbled, and I haven't been able to do this for a while, and so you have to bear with me because God has had me on an interesting journey, which is another story. But so today we're going to take up Acts eight. And uh, Durr, last week, he, he sort of poked at it a little bit, and he told me, I'm going into chapter 8. I said, oh, really? Because <laughs> I had already started meditating and studying uh, Acts 8 and, and saw some really new things in it that I had never seen before, and I hope that you, um, it speaks to you as it spoke to me. Um, so the first question I want to ask you, as I was um, doing some research, I discovered something. Um, does anyone know what the word simony means? Simony. You're going to learn something. If you don't learn anything else today, you're going to learn a new word. Does anybody know what the word simony means? Has anybody read the text for today? Try to buy something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so poor Simon. We have two guys in our chapter today. We have Simon primarily. We have Simon and we have Philip, and Simon is the magician, and we're going to read about Simon the magician. Well, it turns out that he, his destiny was to, to be the source or the root of a word that refers to um, a noun that means to make profit out of sacred things, or the sin of buying or selling spiritual or church favors or benefits. So a sample sentence would be, Martin Luther protested the church's selling of indulgences, which he viewed as simony. So poor Simon. <laughs> All right, so last week, Durr talked about how Saul's persecution of the church caused all but the apostles, which ironically in Greek, apostle means the sent ones, but they hung out in Jerusalem and... Um, everyone else, because of persecution, were scattered. They all left Jerusalem, and that helped actually accomplish what Jesus had commanded was go out into the world and spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of those who, were not, who, who went out were not those who were expected to go out. So we have the story of uh, there was an administrative problem, in the church in Jerusalem where the, uh, the, the widows and the, the, the Hellenistic widows and uh, orphans were not being served well in the church. And so they went to the apostles and said, hey, we got to take care of these, these folks. And uh, so the elders decided that they would appoint uh, seven wise and godly spirit-filled men um, to take care of these administrative duties. And Stephen was one, and we heard about Stephen. He got stoned. And then Philip. So Philip was not appointed as one who was going to preach the word. But as Durr pointed out last week, um, we find right after, in chapter 7 and 8, Philip's on his way. And he's out there preaching like crazy with good results. So in the first part of chapter... Um, Chapter 8, let me get there, marked here. The first, very first, we have, there was a severe persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered 
And then um, now in beginning in verse 4, which could somebody read verse 4 through 8 really nice and loud from Acts? Yeah. Oh, just a minute. Can we pray first? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, Son and Holy Spirit, you are here. And we are so thankful that you are in us and among us. And your holy and life-giving desire is that we hear a word from you this morning. That we enter into your presence and we hear you leading us and guiding us into your word in a way that will speak to our hearts and change us. That we will go forth from this place, change people because you have spoken to us this morning. And so, Father God, I pray that, um, that I would be able to step aside, that you would fill me and everyone in this room with your spirit, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would unstop our ears, that you would open our eyes to see all that you have for us this morning, that we hear you speak, and that we are changed for the sake of your glory and your mission that we might manifest and magnify you as we go forth into our world. Amen. Okay, now we'll read this text. So would somebody read nice and loud um, verses 4 through 8? Can I read it? Sure. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Yeah. So people were filled with joy in hearing Philip proclaiming the Christ to them. He proclaimed Christ. He proclaimed the person of Christ. Does it say he proclaimed about Christ? He proclaimed Christ, which to me says he in his person as he preaches the word of God, people don't see Philip, they see Christ. They get a glimpse of the living Christ. We sang this morning, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We serve, we are, Christ is here alive. We don't just learn about him, we learn him. And that filled the people with joy. Joy, not dread, not guilt, not shame, joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will someone please read the next part, 9 through 13? But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced, previously practiced magic in the city and made the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they, when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, 
And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Yeah, so Simon, formally, formally a magician, is introduced us as one who also had a uh, commanded a public following. Now, when I did a little bit of research about what a magician, we think of magicians as people with bunny rabbits and hats, you know, that kind of magician. Um, but the magicians in the time of Jesus were anyone who dealt in, um, in, and did things that were supernatural, that were beyond what could be explained. Um, and so apparently Simon um, was engaged in that kind of public demonstration of power. We're not quite sure. We can probably speculate as, as to what kind of power he was drawing upon. Um, but we have this contrast, right, or we have this comparison kind of with Philip, who is also um, engaged in signs and wonders, and, also, and, then, and then Simon, um, the magician. And uh, so there'll be more about that later. So can somebody please read um, verses 14 through 25? might have a question well what is this thing about well they were baptized in Jesus in, in the church today um, we believe that when we baptize we also pray for um, that the person would be filled with the Holy Spirit actually the Holy Spirit's been at work in everyone's life and is at work in everyone's life wooing us drawing us to that point of conversion to that point of decision a reception of God's grace so it isn't as though the Holy Spirit isn't all, all around working. Um, but we believe as Christians that when we um, come to faith, we become filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is confirmed and affirmed in the laying on the hands as we baptize. As we baptize. And so um, what I think is happening here, the church is still young, and so people were getting baptized in the, in, the, in the name of Jesus, and yet Pentecost was a relatively recent occurrence, and so the apostles would go out and share what had happened, what they had witnessed and what had happened at Pentecost, um, and bringing that um, to, to the baptized. So there's a, a disconnect there um, in the rea just the realities of the early church. Um, any questions about that? Does that make sense? 
Um, Simon believed, I want you to, to note that Simon believed. He, 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 he stood and he watched. He watched what was happening. He watched Philip's signs and wonders. He watched people, how they were um, captivated by this message and how they came to an understanding that they wanted to be baptized or how they were being baptized in the Spirit. And he believed. He had some level of trust. He believed and he intended to follow. Um, and then he approaches and yet Peter says, but your heart is not right before God. There's a strange paradox there, is there not? How can someone believe and yet your heart is not right before God? Okay, just hang on to that. We'll talk about that in a bit. All right, somebody read 26 through 35, please. Anybody? Okay. How, how far? 35. 35. Mm -hmm. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he, asked, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 32. The eunuch was reading the passage, this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For, this, uh, for his life was taken from the earth. The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very message of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Wow, this is a great this is a great passage. I like I love to preach on this one. This is a whole sermon in itself because it's a great example of cross cultural. <laughs> because um, obviously um, Philip is not from Ethiopia, um, and he's speaking to the Ethiopian um, cross cultural and just relational evangelism. You could just spend a whole sermon talking about what's going on here and how how. Uh, the beauty of uh, spirit-led witnessing and evangelism where the Holy Spirit is completely setting the agenda and actually secondarily the person who is seeking is, spirit, is, is setting the agenda of how the conversation goes down about how to uh, share Christ. But that's not what we're going to preach on. That's not what I'm preaching on today. So we're going to move along. Anyone finish out the chapter for me, for us? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, house, and as he passed there, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to 
<laughs> One last miracle. Philip gets beamed up. <laughs> he disappears. The eunuch gets baptized and Philip disappears and finds himself in a completely different place. So the chapter starts with Philip having these amazing signs and demonstrating these amazing signs and wonders operating in the supernatural. And we hear the little, this little story of Simon who tries to buy supernatural or God's spirit. And then we get back to Philip and he's not doing signs and wonders anymore. He's just walking in the spirit. And, he, and there's a conversion, and then there's a miracle because he disappears and finds himself in a different mission field, which I looked at the map is some distance away. So, interesting. Okay, so um, I would like you to break up in twos and threes and just briefly discuss what do Simon and Peter have in common? What do they have in common? In what ways are they and their experiences similar? What do they have in common? Just talk amongst yourselves. Simon and Peter. Simon, Simon and Philip, sorry. Simon and Philip. What do they have in common? Different. What do they have in common? First, we're going to talk about what they focus on what they have in common. That's the harder question. Simon and Simon Simon What do they have in common? Simon and Philip. Yeah, I know Peter's in there, but he's he's not a big player. It's Simon and Philip. There's probably not a whole lot they have in common. <laughs> okay, do you want to share? I mean, I, I don't think the list is very long. So what did you come up with? What do they have in common? What do they have in common? Somebody? They're wonder workers. They're wonder workers. They're both involved in some kind of supernatural stuff, right? They both had experience of some kind of supernatural stuff. So they, unlike many of us Westerners, they're, they're really open to the spiritual world. They're really open to the unseen spiritual world. And um, CC referred to the principalities and powers this morning. Um, that's a biblical worldview, but it is not of a worldview of many American churches. That there, there are fallen angels and, and there is an enemy, a spiritual enemy. Um, but uh, I'm glad to hear that TC has a biblical worldview, as do I. Um, so, okay, so they, they had experience in the supernatural. Okay, so what else? What else do they have in common? They had a following. People were attracted, and people are attracted, right? They're attracted to the unusual. They're attracted to power or the demonstration of power. Okay? What else? Well, 
Well, they both believed, right? We would say in today's language, they were both saved, right? The Bible says he believed and he was, he was following, listening, taking in the gospel. He believed in the gospel, right? We would say that's, that's they're saved, right? They've at least, take, he's, he, Simon's taken that first step. Philip certainly has taken that first step, right? They're both saved. That's how we would say it now, right? Okay, now you know this is the this is the key question. What is different? What do they not have in common? How are they different? Discuss among yourselves. How are they different? What's the contrast that's being said? What did you come up with? What did you come up with? Was this easier? This was easier to come up with how they are different? I think that's the intention. The contrast. What is different between Philip and Simon? Don't be shy. source of their power, okay. The source of their power, Philip's power is clearly the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're not sure what the source of the power was, Simon, but probably not the Holy Spirit. Um, why, how, why might we conclude that? Anybody have an idea? I think Simon's motivation is different than Philip's. He was more accepted. It seemed like maybe he was doing it on show versus Philip was just following the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and he didn't, um, Simon didn't seem to have any problem um, in his past with people comparing him to God. <laughs> right? But those of us who, are, um, who have received the Holy Spirit, who have, who have made a commitment to Jesus, one of the first things we say is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the only Lord. He is the only King of my life. And I submit, we submit 
to him. What else? So the supernatural power for Poseidon was kind of final goal that he, so he used to make for the spirit as a path to get power. Whereas mm -hmm. the obviously so this final goal was Jesus or the Holy Spirit and byproduct he has a supernatural power. Okay, he participates, Philip participates, and the, the goal is to convey Jesus, and in Simon it's to elevate himself, right? Right? right. Glorify himself. And the purpose of the, of the supernatural power isn't to bring glory to yourself, but if the purpose of the supernatural power was, was so that people would, would see and believe in God. So the, the purpose of the power is, is to draw people to Christ. Mm -hmm. All right. Anyone else? Okay. So here's here's what here's how we would say how are Simon and Philip different? Simon mistakenly thinks that the power of the Spirit is transactional. Transactional. When you think of a transaction, you think of I'll, I'll, I'll do something for you and you do something for me. I'll give you something and you'll give something back to me. It's transactional. It's a contract. It's quid pro quo. Right? It's legal. It's law. It's fair. Is that the gospel? It is not. Transactional. It is transactional rather than what do we have in our in what does Philip have? He has relational. He has he has he's operating in a relationship. He's not transacting anything. What, when he operates in the spirit, it's not, you give me the spirit, God, and I'll get a following, just like we've said. Though it, it, Simon thinks that it's a product. That's a religious goods and service. Who is transactional? Who operates as transactional? It's not always the enemy that says, but the enemy, think about the temptation of Jesus. When, when the devil takes Jesus and, and takes him to the high place and says, look at all the kings. If you would fall down and worship me, I will give you what? All the kingdoms of the world. Okay. What was the religion like that Jesus rejected? The religion of the Pharisees. What was that like? The religion of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were saying, if you don't break the Sabbath, if you don't heal on the Sabbath, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, then the Messiah will come. Transactional. Not relational. Transactional. What Simon was was focused on was behavior or some 
the stuff. What is God? What is God focused on? What is God's primary focus since Genesis all the way through to the revelation of Jesus Christ? What is God's heart? Is it transactional? Is it just for us to become good people, to behave well? Is that the goal of God? What is God's goal for us? Relationship. God's goal for us is to be in intimate relationship with him in a way that we recover from the effects of sin, that we become changed so that we might manifest and magnify the kindness and the goodness and the love of God to our world. And it is not about us trying harder. Because when we try harder, we're focused on what? We're focused on behavior. We're focused on our behavior. What are we to be focused on? We are really focused on our identity. Our identity as beloved children of God. In whom Christ is. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and guide us into all truth and to transform us and to help us take hold of who we are as new creations in Christ. The old man is dead. The old woman was crucified on the cross. What is left are habits of thinking, of believing. Old habits which God wants to cure us of. Not by striving, but by being intimate with him. Philip is walking along in the spirit. And he hears God say, to, the spirit say, go to Gaza. Philip doesn't say, what for? I don't want to go to Gaza. What's Gaza? It's a deserted road. It's a deserted road. It's like, why are you sending me to this deserted road? He doesn't say that. He just goes. It's just like perfectly, it's walking in the spirit. He, he just goes. Because why? Because his trust is completely in God's will. Completely. The spirit and God and Jesus are his Lord. They are directing his life. There's no... He doesn't say, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> Philip doesn't say, well, why would I do that? That'd be a waste of my time. Why would I spend my time going on to this deserted road? And Philip goes, just, he goes. And he's there, and then this unit comes along, and, and the spirit says, go up to the cart. Does he say, preach at him? No. Right? So he walked. There's such an emphasis in the text about the Spirit said do this. The Spirit said do this. And it's, it's not just go and then you know, you'll know what to do. The Spirit literally walks them through step by step by step. Now sometimes, in reality, sometimes as we mature as disciples, we know what to do and we just, it kind of unfolds. And yet, there, 
most of the time, it's okay if we just say, now what, God? Now what, God? And that's what Philip's doing. He's walking it. He's not getting a general idea. He, know, he knows what the overall mission of God is, like we do, right? We know we're supposed to go out and make disciples. He knows that, but he walks each step. He doesn't stop and say, i got to pray for a week or a month. He just starts walking, and he takes God right with him. He takes God right our identity in Christ and the promised Holy Spirit which I don't know about you but for most of my life it was like I was foolish I was in that striving thing I was concentrating on my behavior and what happens when we're in that behavior transactional legalistic thing right we end up right where we don't want to be. The, the church preaches, the Protestant church, Martin Luther preached, it is by grace alone that we are saved. Amen. Right? And it's grace, and you, grace is the power of God at work within us. Right? By grace alone we are saved, and that is true. There is no way we could even come or know or have a conviction that we need salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. But what then happens when we have made a decision for Christ and we have received that gift, that opening in the relationship that restored, too often the church says, okay, now let's get down to business. We're going to become good Christian people. We are going to study our Bibles and we are going to go to Bible study. We're going to go to church every week and we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And oh, by the way, if you've got a problem with eating or you've got a problem with whatever it is, you've got to fix that. You've got you to change your behavior. And where's the Holy Spirit? Where is the relationship? It says in the Bible, in the New Testament, I can't remember where right now, but it says we have been given every spiritual gift that we need. We have everything we need to be perfected in love. It's already done. We are already new creations. We have only to come to God every single day, every single minute of the day, and say, God, show me who I am as a new creation in Christ. Hold up a mirror to me and, and show me what you see. Because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees us in Jesus, and he sees the Jesus in us. Is that not great news? I... This has been a revelation. Okay, I've been out of the ministry, out of the pulpit for like almost ten, more than 10 years maybe. And during that time, God took me from being a person that was more focused. And I didn't realize it. I was focused on behavior. Because I was a good conservative evangelical, and I still am. But I'm an even better conservative evangelical now. <laughs> because, because I'm getting it. That's not about if I if I be good, then God will bless me. If God if I be good, God will like me. No, God loves me more than I could ever imagine. Just the way I am right now, He'll never love me more, and He'll never love me less. And what He invites me into every day is to come into His presence and to walk in His ways, not. Out of 
gritting my teeth and saying, I will, I must, but I want to. Because I love you so much, God, because you first loved me and you continue to love me. And you not only love me, but you empower me because you are in me, your Holy Spirit. And that preaches. <laughs> and when we live that, there is a promise. We can hear God's promises, his covenant of promises, as, as transactional, but they're not transactional. And the reason they're not transactional is because it's not fair. It's not even. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest, and I will give you life. And what we have to offer him is just like that compared to the vastness of his love and the abundance of life that he has for us. And not only that, is that God has made covenant promise with us, which means that even if we don't keep our end of the so-called bargain, he will always keep his. And he has proven that from Genesis all the way through. The Bible is the story of God keeping covenant with those creatures, us, that he created in his own image. And he has never, ever failed. He has withdrawn so that the people hopefully would realize what it's like to live apart from a relationship with him. But he has never left us forever. And the only person that experienced that was Jesus when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have, you, why have you forsaken me? And notice when Stephen gets stoned and he's going through his suffering and death, because dirt correctly um, compared Jesus to Stephen in a lot of ways, Stephen did not experience abandonment from God when he was dying. And that was true of many of the, uh, the Christian martyrs and probably is still true today. It's in the moment when they are at the height of their suffering and facing death, they are in the presence of God before their physical body even dies. I would like for us to be in an attitude of prayer now, and I would like us to listen to what Jesus says to us in John 15. And I would like, um, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, which is one that I've only recently become acquainted with. And I, this is such a familiar passage to me, and I'm sure it is to you, that it's nice to hear a little bit different version and just soak it in. Jesus says to us, each one of us, I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. You are a new creation. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch suffered from, severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me. I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. 
As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, they are discarded, such as branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. Let me say that again. I love you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last, because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. And I will send you the divine encourager from the very presence of my Father. He will come to you, the spirit of truth emanating from the Father, and he will speak to you about me. And you will tell everyone the truth about me, for you have walked with me from the start. The key is the spirit. The key for Philip was the spirit. And the spirit cannot be bought. And the church cannot sell the spirit. The church, the people of God, is not a purveyor of goods and services. People often shop for the church. They come looking for religious goods and services. They come looking for a place to have their children baptized, or their anybody baptized, or a place to have their weddings, a place to have their funerals, a place to have education about spiritual things. But that is not the church. That is religion. 
And so as we refresh and renew as a committed body, passionate body of believers, praise God, that is why my husband and I are here. We need to take great care that we don't become transactional. Because we will not have what it, if we don't have, we cannot share what we do not have. And what we have to share that we truly are called to share as the church is Jesus Christ. That people's lives may be changed and that they may see our lives being changed. Amen? And so, homework. <laughs> because you say, I live in this distracting world. How in the world can I practice the presence of God? Not just in my devotional time in the morning or at night, whenever you do your devotional time, but how can I be, how can my life move towards the intimate joining that John 15 talks about? How can we do that? We live in such a distracting, transactional world, right? We do not live in a grace build covenant promise world. We live in a legalistic, transactional world. So how can we realistically take hold of what God so desperately and wonderfully wants to give us? The first thing we can do is we can start every day by just entering into his presence in simple worship. Just coming in prayer to God and doing nothing but saying, God, I rejoice in your kindness towards me. It is perfect. It's infinite. It's boundless. It's unsurpassable. I, I rejoice and I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for Jesus and what he has done for me. It, no petitions. Just thankfulness. Paul talks about pray without ceasing, rejoicing and thanking. Give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving brings us in and brings us into the focus of how good our God is and how great and then ask God ask God to show you or us if there's any way in which we have an understanding of our relationship that's transactional because we have habits of mind we have habits of mind so we have these messages that are going between our two ears all day long that says oh I can't do that right and ask God to renew our minds. And then as you proceed through your day, come up with a simple way to call upon God's presence. For me right now, I, I say over and over again, all day, every time it comes, every time when I have a moment, I say, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Now, you might have a different one, but just a simple one line, one sentence profession of faith that God can work, the Holy Spirit can work and say, indeed, indeed, yes, that is true, and I am here. So it might be, Jesus is Lord. You are my Lord, Jesus. It could be just some one simple sentence. And all day, every time you have a free moment, your mind's kind of like, you know, you kind of zone in, kind of go to that, that thing. I am in Christ, Christ is in me. I am in Christ, Christ is in me. Because every time we do that, then he's right there. And he goes, uh-huh, yeah, here I am, yep, yep. And he helps keep our attention on him in the midst of our busy lives. 
try it. See what happens. See what happens. And maybe at some point we can share um, with one another because that is also the church. We come together and in our conversations as we're eating uh, nothing today, um, we can share, look at this is what, where God showed up in my life this week. And you will see, you will see how that will change your life. So let us be Phillips and not Simons. Amen? All right. Um, and let us keep in mind as we proceed as a church, are we being transactional or are we operating in the supernatural? Because we are people of the Spirit. Let us pray.